A cantor is the leader of the music. A cantor is somebody who helps the congregation along in their musical endeavors. The goal is to worship through music and to have somebody who will lead that worship. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking in good faith today with John Richardson, who is about to graduate from Brigham Young University with a BA in history, a minor in music, and a certificate in Spanish. And he's headed for a master's program in history at the University of Oxford with a choral scholarship to sing with the Queen's College Choir while he's there. John, thank you for speaking with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Now, last Sunday, I was in Salt Lake City's beautiful Cathedral of the Madeline for the 3 p.m. Mass, the afternoon Mass in English, and there you were singing as a cantor. I wonder if you'd explain just real briefly what a cantor is and does in a Catholic service. That's a great question. A cantor is kind of the leader of the music. Yes and no. (laughs) How do I best describe what a cantor does? A cantor is somebody who helps the congregation along in their musical endeavors. The goal is to worship through music and to have somebody who will lead that worship, not only through letting them know when to come in and and which verses to sing, but also to sing powerfully, to fill the space with sound so they can also feel confident singing in that space, right? Someone who can lead the charge in the musical worship at the cathedral. I noticed there are several places where you would sing a section and then raise your hand, letting everyone know, now we're going to repeat right. what I've just sung to you, So, which was really helpful because then I was even able to, <laughs> to sing along. Right. The antiphonal singing is what it's called. And scholars think that it's the earliest style of Christian worship singing that exists and that one person sings the chorus, if you want to think of it that way, of the song one time through So everybody learns the chorus, and then everybody sings it together. And then he sings a verse, and then everybody sings the chorus again, right? And then the verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And that chorus that everybody repeats is the antiphon. So I wonder if we could go back just a little bit musically and speaking of faith in your life, because you're not actually Catholic. No. A member of the LDS Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we'll sort of get to that interesting interfaith relationship here. I wonder if you'd tell me just what your thoughts are or relationship with music was growing up. So all growing up, my father instilled in me when I was young a love of music, but particularly sacred music. He was a lover of all things classical and choral. But I remember personally when he would listen to his classical music that the sacred pieces, the the songs that were specifically written for religious worship, always spoke to me in a stronger way than just secular classical music. 
so I was forced to play the piano all growing up, um, <laughs> as is typical with uh, Latter-day Saints. And I was also obliged to sing in our congregation's choir. And so growing up, I, I had the, uh, some musical experience of my own, you know, playing the piano and singing. But I think the real love came from listening with my, with my father and him kind of talking about it too, not just simply passively listening, but saying, did you see what happened there? Or, did you hear what happened there? Ooh, I loved that moment, right? And getting me really involved in the music. What a great way to, it's sort of like a little introduction to music course, except without homework. Right, yes. <laughs> or all homework. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get involved then as a singer yourself? Funny, I didn't sing much outside of church choir, and that was kind of begrudgingly, right, until college. During high school, my high school years, I was, I was all into surfing and skateboarding. You know, I was a punk kid, didn't want to do anything my parents told, told me to do. <laughs> but I moved, I moved to Utah, and suddenly there were no more waves. But I remembered the things that I had done with my dad, right, listening to all this classical music, going to concerts, and I found myself just attending lots of music events cause, because they were here. BYU just offers so much music and it's really, really cheap for students. So I found myself going to a concert once or twice a week, orchestras, choirs, jazz bands, whatever it was. And I kind of started to get bummed seeing these people performing such incredible music and me thinking I had wasted my uh, formative years by not having put more effort into music. And so I decided one summer that I was just going to do it, that I was going to like put my back into it and start to participate in the music scene at BYU. So in the fall semester, I auditioned for a jazz band, I auditioned for a choir, and I didn't get into anything because I was terrible. <laughs> I, was, I was really bad at the things I did. So they recommended I take lessons. So I did. It was an investment for sure. I didn't have that much money, but I, the little money that I had, I spent on music lessons because I decided this is something that matters to me. Yeah, within a year of taking voice lessons and trombone lessons, was participating in the choirs and the jazz band at BYU. And that was a ton of fun. Hmm. Now, I wonder how then you took the leap to singing solo, not just solo, but in a mass as a cantor. Right. It is quite a leap. I, I totally hear that. When I started singing in BYU choirs, I realized that this was my passion. This was my thing. Jazz band was a ton of fun, but choir was where my heart truly resided. And so I put way more effort and way more time into my voice than anything else, probably more than my major, honestly. I would just sing all the time. I went on a study abroad in the summer of 2018 to the University of Cambridge in England to study history. And while I was there, I went and visited some of the chapels and heard some of the chapel choirs in Cambridge, like the choir at King's College uh, and St. Uh -huh. John's and Trinity. So some of the most renowned choirs in the world. I was just blown away because it was not only an excellent choral sound, but the spaces that they sang in were just breathtaking. These old Gothic chapels with these acoustics that are just 
incredible. And the music that they were singing, the organ and choir music, and the way that it was so worshipful just filled me with something, something special. And so I came back with the desire. I was like, I have to figure out how I can do this, how I can somehow get into the church choir scene, right? The liturgical singing scene, which is so random, right? Like choral music is already niche enough. And then specifically (laughs) within choral music, it's like, I want to sing liturgical choral music. And so I saw a posting for the job at the Cathedral of the Madeline, and I just, I sprung on it. I emailed him right away and I said, I want it. Here's my experience. Let me come audition for you. And he auditioned me. I thought the audition went terrible, but apparently it was good enough. I was so pleased, just so excited. It was exactly what I wanted to be doing. So this was with the music director, also the organist, Gabriele Taroni. Yes. Awesome. What a great musician. In fact, we are featuring him in the next few weeks here on this show. Yeah. Gabriele is incredible. His abilities with the organ and the fact that he's playing this stuff on the organ and listening to me singing and after mass can like critique me on like tiny details Mm. while he was also improvisationally, you know, (laughs) just doing everything to to make up for my mistakes on the organ is it's it's pretty mind-blowing. He is incredibly talented. So it's not just that you show up and sing some music that's put in front of you and that you've had time to practice, but tell me about your experience of learning how that works together in the service, in the Mass. Right. Part of being the cantor is not only leading the music, but leading everything that the congregation is supposed to do. I am supposed to lead out in kind of those actions. Every time they're supposed to stand, sit, kneel, say a response. And so coming in as a non-Catholic cantor, not only did I need to spend the time to learn all of this new music, which is pretty foreign to non-Catholics, the the style of music, but also I had to learn and look as if it was natural for me to do all of these steps and all of these kind of different ritual kind of what's what's the right word for it? The movements or right, where yes. you position yourself. Exactly. And the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you certainly looked like you had been born to it at the mass I attended. This is actually a common thing for church musicians. For instance, I have a son who grew up here. He lives in Boston. He is the music director at St. John Lutheran just outside of Boston. It's very common for organists and singers from different faiths to come help each other out. Like, I need more people in my choir for this special event or whatever it might be. Right. It's actually a common thing, but not necessarily in your faith tradition to do that. Right. Tell me what you learned. Tell me what spiritually you experienced doing that. I love the emphasis that 
I mean, the Catholic Church, especially the Diocese of Salt Lake, puts on their liturgy, especially their musical worship, right? The fact that instead of simply finding a, a lay cantor from the congregation to sing, they, they put out and look for excellent musicians regardless of faith tradition and are willing to pay to have excellent music at their services. I think it's beautiful. I love the emphasis that is put on having excellent music as part of worship and being willing to pour resources into that. Beyond being able to participate in the, in the music, I've also just loved being in the space. The Cathedral of the Madeleine is a gorgeous building, and you could look at it, the interior, forever. There is so much to see in the stained glass, in the murals, in the intricate patterns on the ceiling and on the columns. There's just so much to take in. And so being in that space pretty much every weekend is just a beautiful, beautiful thing for me, especially during COVID-19 and uh, the quarantine and lockdown when most of the world was shut down, including LDS chapels. And I couldn't even go to my own worship services. Being able to go to such a beautiful space and to be able to make such beautiful music in that space. And I guess it was broadcast. Right, yes. Mm -hmm. For the congregation. Exactly. So even though there were very few or no people there, me being able to be in in a sacred place was an excellent thing. And even now that things are opening back up, I always look forward to my visits to the cathedral because there is definitely a sense of the sacred in that building, in the art, in everything that goes on there. My experience is that everything that is sung there, you would be completely comfortable with, singing about the Savior and the Lamb of God. Right. All of that, that that's a shared tradition. Right. I think my favorite part about Mass is that it almost never feels contradictory to my own faith because in the end, we're all Christians. And the the centrality of Jesus Christ to both faith traditions outweighs everything else by far. Yeah, like you said, what I sing is is the, the parts of the ordinary mass, Gloria, which just sings glory and praise to God, the Kyrie, which says, Lord, have mercy, the Sanctus, which just says, holy, holy are you, O Lord God. And then I sing a psalm and I sing part of a gospel verse. So it's all straight out of the scriptures and it's all direct worship and praise of Jesus Christ. I love what I sing and it fills me with faith even though it's not my tradition, it is because my, what, what I believe is in Jesus Christ. And there I get to worship Jesus Christ. The people that I have spoken with who do the most, whether professionally or as volunteers, in interfaith work have all told me without exception the goal of their work is not that anyone's trying to convert anyone to anyone else's belief, but that they find that by working with other believers, they learn and they become a stronger member of their own tradition. Have you felt something like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Seeing the faith of some of these people that come to Mass week after week, it doesn't fill me with any sort of sadness like, oh, I wish they were part of mine that I believe is true. I always just, I'm just joyful that they have that faith and are living it. And it fills me with a lot of faith, seeing their kind of commitment. They're just all in. And you can tell they, they love God and they want to just be there for him. 
And it definitely has changed my perspective the more that I've worked interfaith about the way that I see people of other faiths. We have so much more in common than we do part or than in the things we disagree. Well, I have definitely discovered that in the many, many interviews I've done of people of all different faiths who truly see God working in their lives. And to hear their stories kind of makes me want to strive a little more to be more tuned into that in my own life and, and do better and be a better conduit for making good things happen. Right. So I wonder if I can go back faith-wise. So you grew up in a home where church was important, it sounds like. Yes. And I wonder if you tell me, was it just a given that there was God? Or was that something you had to sort of question and find out at some point for yourself? It was a given at first. But with time, I realized that what I believed was simply what my parents believed. Luckily for me, my parents always invited me to, to be a critical thinker to ask questions, to not shy away from doubts and hard things. And I'm so grateful for that. They've put more importance on knowing for yourself than being there to be there, right? Faith for faith's sake. They wanted it to be personal. They wanted it to be real. So I definitely had moments in my, in my teenage years where those kind of big questions would come. Is, is there a God? If there is a God, does he care? about me, you know, what's my place in all of this? And then there were always these moments that any doubts in my head were dispelled based on the amount of the beauty and the grace that I saw in my own life that confirmed to me that there is something higher, there is something there that I felt in my own life. One example that I can think of just off the top of my head was when I was at Cambridge I distinctly remember going to a Coral Even song and really enjoying the music, but feeling these kind of big question marks in my mind. And afterwards, taking a walk and uh, walking over to a beautiful meadow outside of the city limits. And in that meadow, took the time to just sit and to think and to reflect. And in that time of pondering after having filled my soul with that beautiful music and being in this beautiful place, it just, it hit me. And, and I just knew. And I didn't know exactly what I knew to the full extent, but I knew that I knew. Mm. And what I did know was that God is there and, and that Jesus, you know, what he did is real and that he loves me and that really he wants to save me. I believe you served an LDS mission. Yes. And where did you go? Ecuador, the city of Quito. And it turns out that in your service at the cathedral, you also use your Spanish as well. Tell I me do. about this. Yeah. So every weekend, along with the English masses, they have two Spanish masses, which are the best attended masses 
at the cathedral. The Hispanic congregation is large and it is strong. And it is a pleasure to sing with them because they sing loud and boisterously. (laughs) But, oh, my Spanish has helped tremendously. There are some cantors who don't speak Spanish and yet are still expected to sing Spanish mass. And they simply have to figure out the pronunciation. They don't know what the words mean. I love that I get to understand the meaning, but also the Spanish music at the cathedral is fast and syncopated. There's lots of elisions, kind of the words are all kind of connecting and fusing together. I don't know how non-Spanish speakers do it. I am so grateful for my own Spanish <laughs> because I don't think I could keep up with the music because it it's a lot. They really they really pack a lot of words and a lot of rhythms into their their worship music. So it's been a lot of fun. ever, as you're doing that, think of people you knew in Quito or Absolutely. In Ecuador? Absolutely. There are certain phrases that I sing that bring me back to specific experiences. It's really interesting, just kind of the things that believers would say, and then I see them in the text of the music I'm singing, and I say, that's where that came from, right? When I would hear someone in Ecuador, I would say something to them, and they would kind of give me a response about their belief in Jesus Christ. And then I see it, I see it in the music, and it brings me back to those moments which are so dear to me. And it also, it, being a missionary, the goal is to try to teach people about my faith, but specifically, you know, my religion, my church, and hopefully they convert, right? And so it was hard often not to antagonize Catholics, while I was in Ecuador, because it is a predominantly Catholic country, and when we would be teaching people about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they would often simply say, I'm Catholic, I'm not interested. And that would bug me, but now working in this Catholic cathedral and kind of seeing the way their faith worked and seeing the, the beliefs that they were brought up on based on kind of this music and this liturgy, I understand them more and I just, I love them more. Right. I just appreciate now, instead of why don't you convert to my religion, it's I'm just so glad that you have such a strong faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad that it's part of your tradition and that you live it and that you love it. Music for me kind of bypasses my head. I mean, I can analyze it. Are we major? Are we minor? How? What's the time signature? All of right. those things musicians do in the background. But essentially for me, if music did not involve my feelings, it would not be useful to me, I right. think. And I'm wondering, because I've had the experience where singing something was very meaningful to me. If I'm not careful, your emotions get the best of you. Do you have that experience? And, and what mindset do you have to be in to do what you do? I remember when I was in BYU Concert Choir, Sister Rosalind Hall, who is of local fame, before kind of very important devotional, we, when we sang at the conference center, 
at Temple Square, she gave this speech beforehand where she said, do not let your emotions get in the way of the music because you cannot cry and sing at the same time. <laughs> your job is to invoke such feeling in the audience, right, in the congregation that they cry. But you have to be stoic. You cannot let your emotions get the best of you because then you won't be able to produce the most beautiful music that will then be impactful to them. So there are definitely moments when I'm at the cathedral where, where I'm feeling it. And sometimes it's a feeling of deep love and faith and that kind of like almost heavy, but like a good heavy that, that almost brings you to tears. But at other times, it's sort of an elation and mm. a joy that makes me crack a big smile. And people often say, oh, make sure to smile when you sing. No, at least not in the cathedral. If you smile when you sing, your, uh, your vowels get all stretched <laughs> and you sound a little silly and childish. So mm. I have to keep, you know, nice, warm, round vowels, even when my lips are screaming for me to, to smile because I'm just, it feels so good and it's just so beautiful and wonderful. But I do, I do have to keep my composure so that I can keep producing the best music. Are you physically going to the University of Oxford? You'd have to be if you're going to sing in the choir. Yes. Did you have an audition there or via email an audition or Skype? Right. The rules were not clear. <laughs> the, the process was not very clear on the website because Oxford is made up of colleges, kind of like the United States is made up of states. Each college has its own procedures, its own mm. government, its own its own choir and its own chapel. And so I had to look at a bunch of different college choirs, first figure out which ones I liked and which ones had the sound that I was looking for. And then I had to figure out how to get in touch with them and if they'd be even willing to uh, hear me audition. And so, yeah, it was mostly looking up the director's email, shooting the director, you know, these people that I've, I've looked up to like my entire life these kind of giants in the musical world and sending them an email saying, hi, you want to hear me sing? So that was pretty nerve wracking. Luckily, they were, most of them were very, very kind. Some of, some of the really big names did not get back to me. So <laughs> I totally understand. But they were kind enough to, to reach out to me and to say, we'd happily hear you over Skype, over Zoom, you know, whatever, whatever needs to happen. And so they asked me to record myself singing some sort of a solo piece. I sent that to them, just a YouTube link. And if it was good enough, they met with me and they did tests over, over the internet, uh, sight reading, kind of interval and pitch recognition stuff. Mm. So it went well enough that he offered me a spot in the choir. So Awesome. Well, when you're not being a solo, what, what do you sing, baritone? Uh, baritone, yeah. Nice warm voice, by the way. Thank you. There is something about those buildings. The music that is written to be sung in there is written because of the acoustic to take advantage of it. And I have to say, it really can be an uplifting and otherworldly experience, something supernal. Right. It's just amazing to be able to hear music in those situations. When you leave, if you were to write a little note to the cathedral, just as a building, as a congregation, as whoever, what would you say about your experience there? Wow. I mean, first off, I would thank them for giving me the chance even to worship with them, to make such excellent music with them at, at such a high level. I'd thank them for being committed to beauty. That might be the most important of all. Just 
so grateful that there are people who are just committed to making things special and sacred and beautiful. Of course, I would thank them for forgiving me when I mess up because sometimes I would mess up very badly <laughs> because often, like I said, with the antiphonal singing, right, the, the call and response, we would sing the chorus together and then I would sing a solo myself and oftentimes I would absolutely annihilate the solo. And when I say annihilate, I don't mean in the good way. I mean just <laughs> crash and burn. Sometimes Gabrielli, the organist, would decide, all right, we're done with this song, right? After this antiphone, no more verses. But I thought that one more verse was necessary. And so I would start singing into an empty void without accompaniment. <laughs> so moments, Be- Because we should mention that he's way up in the organ loft at right. the other end of the cathedral. Yes, there's no communication other yeah. than Just our listening. ears. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes, you know, the miscommunication... I thought that it was my time to come in, but he was like, I'm not done with the intro yet. Or I think that I should keep singing, but he's like, no, I think we've had enough music for now. <laughs> Little things like that where and you can see everyone's faces in the congregation, kind of smile, kind of smirk, and recognize that I made a mistake. But always being so kind, coming up to me afterwards and, and thanking me for the music and complimenting me on my voice, on, on the effort that I put into to putting on a good program for them. So... What should I ask you that I don't know to ask you about this experience? Or, or is there something you would like to be sure you say about it, what you've learned or your experience before we're done here? Something that I've been thinking about a lot recently is the idea of holy envy. I think among interfaith circles, it's a pretty common idea. Christer Stendhal's concept. Exactly. Yeah. I think the thing that I have loved the most about my time at the cathedral was getting to see things about their faith tradition that I loved and I loved so much that I almost wish that my own faith tradition had a bit more of, right? Acoustic spaces, having chapels built for sound is just a wonderful thing that I wish we had more of. Filling the space with wonder and with mystery. I love the focus on the mystery that is present there, right? The how did this happen? How was Jesus born of a virgin? How did he rise again after dying? And I love that they lean into the fact that they don't know this. And that's what makes it special, is that they don't know how it happened. So often I feel in the Latter-day Saint tradition, we like that everything is rational and reasonable, and we try to explain as much as we can. But they are content with some things being unexplained. And in fact, that's what makes it sacred. Mm. Interesting to speak very rationally and logically about something that is so beyond our comprehension. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's beautiful. I, I really appreciate that, John, that you have sensed that. John Richardson is graduating from BYU this semester with a BA in history, a minor in music, and a certificate in Spanish. He'll be part of a master's history program at the University of Oxford and will be singing with the Queen's College Choir. I'm so happy you get to continue this choral tradition as you move on. John, thank you for speaking with me today in good faith. Thank you. That's our time for today. Thanks to Cathedral Cantor John Richardson for generously sharing his stories, his music, and his faith. 
In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Email us, ingoodfaith at byu.edu. And if you enjoy the show, be sure you leave a comment or review where you get your podcasts and help spread the word. Our episodes are all online at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith. Our Twitter feed is at ingoodfaithbyu. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join me again soon right here in Good Faith.